Today we're moving into our second week of a, a series on the book of Ephesians called A Better Way of Living. How many of you want a better way of living? So the rest of you just, <laughs> I'm good. Life sucks. I love it, man. You know, <laughs> Or either that or you have the key. So listen to this message or find the person who didn't raise their hand. I'm just kidding. I mean, if you want a better way of living, whether you're in the church or not, you may not be a churchy person or you may be, you've been in church your whole life, I can tell you that this is not going to change the fact that this helps us have a better way of living. It does. Doesn't, it doesn't change. It doesn't contradict. It doesn't, you know, the culture doesn't, like, you know, make it look different. Well, the, the outside, the, you know, leather now, but... You know, no more scrolls. But the point is, is that God's word never changes. And one thing in God's word is, is that his house, his church, his body is the place we need to go and be a part of and be refreshed, whether it's in a small group or a setting like this, to learn a better way of living. And so the Apostle Paul, one of the writers of the Bible in the New Testament, he uh, begins this letter to the church in Ephesus. That's why it's called Ephesians. That's who they were. And he writes this letter to them, and in chapter 1 last week, we talked about how we can live in unity with God. We can. We can be unified with God, but it happens through a personal relationship with him. You can't be in unity with someone that you don't know, that you don't spend time with. And so this week, the apostle uh, Paul moves in in chapter 2. We're going to get kind of in the middle of chapter 2, and he talks about how this unity that you have with God will lead to unity with each other, especially in the body of Christ. And so that's where we're going to go this morning. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, you can just go there on your phone and get ready. We're going to go there in a little bit. But how many of you, it's been said by, by Jen in her prayer, it's been said by Christy, how many of you would use that word, unified, to describe our world today? It's probably the last word that you would think of, especially in our nation, the United States of America, where we happen to live, is extremely divided. And what you'll see is we've always been divided, but now it is accentuated. And there's, there's divisions within those divisions. It's crazy. It's like the division has just multiplied. And people you thought were on your side are not on your side. And, and vice versa, and, and people are just so confused. And there's so much division among us. And yet here we are in America where our slogan is, United We Stand. And there's not much unity happening. One of my absolute favorite things to do is, is, is go to Jesus and find out what he's thinking. And we find that in the Word. But here's the coolest thing. The Bible actually has a prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. Absolutely one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. John 17, if you go to verse 20 and 21, this is what Jesus, the Son of God, prayed. You want to know how to pray? Let's look at how he prayed. He said, my prayer is for not, not for them alone, meaning not for the people of his time. He said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So two things. Who's he talking about? Believers who will believe. And when's he talking about? Forevermore from that point on. So we are, he is praying 
for us today. God Almighty, through the prayer of his Son, and he says this, he says, that all of them may be divided on certain issues. May all of them be one. That's God's prayer for us. And he says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Let me, let me, let me tell you something. This oneness, this unity that he speaks of, it makes you more like God. Did you see that? Did you catch that? He says, just like we are one, I want them to be one. If they're going to be like me, then they need to be united. That's the way to do it. You want to be like Jesus? You want to be holy? You want to be righteous? Be, you have to be united. There's no other way. And so part two of our series is titled, United We Stand. It's truly a better way of living. Let's pray. Father, right now, I just believe your word. I believe it's true. I, be, I believe it's relevant for today now more than ever. And I pray that the words of life, not my words, but your words, would penetrate the hearts of every person in this room and cause change in their life. Even if one thing, if they grasp one thing to change in their life, Lord, let it begin with me in Jesus' name. Look at your neighbor and scream amen, amen. with your mask on. So how many of you remember, I'm going to go down memory lane. It was like a few years ago for me, but some of you it was a long time ago. When you went in your uh, middle school cafeteria, I usually get laughs at my age at this point. But anyway, you go in the middle school cafeteria. It's the most dreaded thing in the world to do. Especially, I went to Bonneville. How many Bonneville? Bonneville. Most of the time, there's a lot of Bonneville. Let me just tell you all, there's a lot of Bonneville people in the room. They just don't want to admit it. And so you walk in there. You know, that wasn't middle school. That was high school. But I went to Roosevelt Middle School. I went to Bonneville High School. Roosevelt's now Tom Benson, I believe. And, boy, that was the most dreaded moment in the world to walk into the cafeteria. And you see, I don't know what they call people now, but the jocks or the athletes sat over here and the skater punks or skater guys over here. Why did I change my accent when I said that? Uh, the, the, the band guys here and I almost said the band geeks. Sorry, Christy. Um, the band people here and then the geeks here and there, whatever. And you walk in and there's all this division in this cafeteria and you're just sitting there. Well, I'm just sitting there going, I don't, Know where I fit. I don't play an instrument. I've tried. You know, I'm kind of awkward to play sports. You know, I just don't seem to fit. And now I walk in, and where do I go? Where do I belong? All this division, all this, you know, people in cliques. And, and some of you are traumatized right now. Listen to this. You're like, please don't remind me of those days. Please. Being in school, it was pretty intense. I don't know about for you, but it was for me very uncomfortable. Believe it or not, I was very shy. Kept to myself up until my senior year. I just came out of my shell. But it was very hard to live in, in that, that day and age, that time period of my life where I was most impressionable and have all this division and not sure where I fit in. Nothing to, to be unified with because I didn't really know who I was yet. And so I wonder what it would have been like if there wasn't peer pressure or cliques 
or that need to fit in or that division that separates us all. I, you know, as a kid, going through those, that time period, you know, what would it have been like to lock arms together instead and to be, to be unified and to support each other as we were growing up and maturing and having all those difficult issues? I'm so grateful for youth for youth groups and things like that, where I could, man, if I'd have had a youth group when I was growing up, that would have saved my life probably. And just having that support system, what would it have been like? And sadly, though, I get older and not much has changed. It may not look the same in the cafeteria or whatever, but it's a little different, looks different, but it's still the same, the heart of it, the division. And don't we, don't we all have a tendency maybe to emphasize uh, those things that separate us, that divide us, instead of uniting or rallying around things that really matter most? And I thought, you know what? I became a Christian, I, I think, 27, later on in life. And I thought, oh, great, I finally found something that's going to be unified something where there will be no division. Can I be honest? It's probably worse. I'm just being honest. Hopefully not for you, but that's the experience I had in the past 16, 17 years of following Jesus. I have seen traveling all over as a missionary, going to different churches and places. I have seen so much division. It breaks my heart. Life has shown me that you really can't escape division. And you really don't have to work hard at it either. It's easy to be divided. It's hard to be unified. And so here we go, Paul, going way back again. And Paul was facing a lot of the things that we're facing today with this division. I mean, there was individuals from different ethnicities and economic statuses and, and different backgrounds. And, and Ephesus, this place he was writing to from prison, was a lot like New Orleans. It was a port city. And so it was a gateway to foreign lands. And so here they are with a mix of people from all different races and backgrounds that were there. And Paul was warning them. He's saying, look, guys, the, I mean, I'm excited. You, you've given your life. You've given everything up for a cause. But I want to tell you something. I want to warn you, don't let the culture creep into the church. Don't let the way they act there, out there creep in to this new movement that you're a part of that eventually is going to change the world. Don't let that happen. He's basically saying, look, a house divided cannot stand. I mean, one day there's going to be this team called Alabama. <laughs> Okay? And there's going to be this other team called LSU. And if your husband likes Alabama, something's wrong with him, and the, uh, the wife likes LSU and they live together, it's going to be ugly, right? Matter of fact, they're going to make license plates that says a house divide. That's not what it meant. And Abraham Lincoln didn't coin that phrase. He said it because Jesus said it because it's true. A house, his house, divided is not just bad. <laughs> it's not just wrong. Not just wrong. It will not stand. It can't exist for the long 
Paul for the mission that God gave us. And some of us, you know, are asking ourselves a lot lately, can our nation overcome what is dividing us, what is crippling us right now? And I believe, because, again, I believe the word of God, the answer is yes, if. Now, we learned if a couple of weeks ago, but there's another if. If we lead the way. You don't wait for someone else. You don't wait for the church down the street. Saints Community Church, I'm talking to right now, has to decide, are we going to lead the way in unity? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Let's start there. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Don't forget. I do a whole series on those two words. <laughs> Don't forget. Don't, I'm going to add something. Don't you ever forget who you were, where you came from, what your life was like before Jesus. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens. Just a hint for those of you that don't know the Bible words up. You don't want to be called that, okay? It's just bad. He called The Jews called them that. The Jews, the people of God, God's chosen people. It's a little lesson about who the Jews were. Called Gentiles that. We're going to get to that in a second, what that means. They were proud of their circumcision. <laughs> That's a whole funny thought right there. Even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. <laughs> Some of y'all got that. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were, listen, excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. See, heathen basically means not adhering to the laws of the Jewish religion, the Abrahamic code, so to speak. And Gentile was basically not Jewish. If you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. And a lot of times those terms are used today to symbolically mean something different. How close uh, heathen would mean like someone who just doesn't obey God. They don't live for God. They're a heathen. And, and a Gentile is someone who is not a part of God's family yet. Yet. And so as Paul says here, these pouncing words to us today, don't forget. He's reminding them to look back. Look back at what life was like before they had hope, before they were following this, this new Savior that came into the world. And look back at that when they were heathen Gentiles. And he says, remember when you were outsiders. Remember when you were separated from God. You had no hope of salvation. You had no hope of, of, of restoration. The division was just that was life. This is it. This is who I am. And before we put our faith in Jesus, we were outsiders. We were separated from God. And so he transitions in verse 13 and 14, and he says this, but now. How many of you started singing the Grease song? But now. That's never Anyway. But now, he says, used to, but now, you have been uni united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him 
through the blood of Christ. And Christy talked about that. There's freedom from the shedding of blood. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. That's God's plan. When his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated all of us. So that's what Christianity is about and supposed to do. It's supposed to remove those barriers. It's supposed to remove those walls that separate us. Do you see what he's saying here? Do do you see what God is trying to yell at us today through the scriptures, through the ancient scriptures, through a letter that Paul wrote to Ephesus? It was a prophetic word for us in our nation specifically today. He's saying, and I know how things used to be, but I'm talking about a different way. I'm talking about a different way to act and to think, to behave. You are different when you become a Christian. You don't just become a Christian because you you feel good or because this group makes me feel good. I don't have any friends, but those Christian people really like me, so I'm going to be a part of that. Or or, or I'm so scared of hell that I want to be a part of that or, or any other reason. It's a different way. God is calling us a different way to live. You getting this? He's ultimately talking about this unity specifically. He's talking then, and he's talking now about the church, the holy church. Not out there. He's talking about in here. And it's an important message, not only to them, but to us, because our world knows all of those problems of discord, of disharmony, of disunity. Imagine an orchestra up here and every instrument doing what they wanted. Christy, how would that sound? Some people call it jazz. But anyway, um, you know, it's just, oh, kind of, is that, should I have said that up north? <laughs> okay. And so, come back to me. It was Taylor Swift, I meant to say. Um, but he's talking about a different way. And here's the deal. It creeps into the church, but worse than that, it creeps into our families. It creeps into the workplace. Because families are divided now more than ever. In our workplace. Someone's scared to go to work because you're scared to be judged on what you believe. Or you stand, you're trying so hard to stand up for the truth and you're being ridiculed not by the world, but by your fellow Christians. Because you're standing for righteousness. By the way, let me be clear on something. Righteousness, oh gosh. Do I go there? Righteous is not your definition of righteousness. It's not something like patriotism or something political. Righteousness is what God says is righteousness. It's on the things that truly bring us together, not the things that we prefer or we believe because of our culture. That's all I'll say about that. We have constant conflict, constant strife, constant division. We have barriers And we have people building barriers. And if we are all honest, we are all, starting here, are guilty of this. And back then, there was discord between Jews and Gentiles. I don't know if you you knew this, but when a Jew traveled and they would return from their homeland, they would shake off the dust because they didn't want Gentile dust to go and infect the Holy Land. Isn't that crazy? We don't even shake our, 
I went to Chack Bay this weekend. I didn't dust off my shoes when I went in my house. That's where my wife is from. Just kidding, babe. They shook the dust off their feet. They hated them so much. If a young Jewish man or a woman married a Gentile, their families would have a funeral service, symbolizing the, the death of their child as far as religion, race, and family were concerned. For fear of contamination, many Jews wouldn't enter Gentiles' homes, and many Gentiles wouldn't go into Jews' homes. For hundreds and hundreds of years, the animosity between a Jew and a Gentile had festered and had grown like a cancer all over the place. Doesn't this sound eerily familiar? Ephesians 2.16, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And listen, our hostility, your hostility, your past hostility, your upbringing was put to death. That's what it says in Ephesians 2.16. It was nailed to the cross. It should not exist anymore. Jesus came to tear down walls of division. Jesus came to reconcile all people to himself and second, to reconcile all people to one another. And that's a big fancy word, but reconciliation is very simple. It means when you go from an enemy to a friend. When you're divided to now unified. That's the work of reconciliation. That's the work of the cross. The work of the cross is not so you can be a part of a denomination or not so you can attend or whatever. It is so that you first and foremost, are now unified with a group of people that follow one God. Not the God of the Jews, not the God of America, not the God of this, not the God of that. The one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that existed from the foundation of the earth. That's the one we are unified together with. And Jesus breaks down these walls of race and class and occupation and whatever else that would separate us. We're one in him. Someone once says, division is diabolical, but diversity is divine. It's a part of heaven. It's what heaven is going to be like. There's going to be some miserable people if you think it's all going to look and act and sound just like you. It is different. And these people here, they have a history of distrust and hatred. And Paul's telling them now, guess what? You got to go to church together. <laughs> you got to be in the same room together. He says, I've formed a new community with Christ as the head. And this is going to be hard because of their sincere hatred for one another. That's a real history to them. And if you notice the apostle Peter before this, same thing happened to him. Peter had walked with Jesus. He physically saw Jesus. Physically. Jesus was literally with him. He had saw, heard the sermons. He, had, he saw the empty tomb. He had breakfast with Jesus after the resurrection. And yet Peter, years, years after the resurrection, after being with Jesus, after being a leader in the church, he still 
does not like Gentiles. You got to be kidding me. The highest leader, the one that birthed the church, that I will build my rock. Some denominations believe he was the first leader of the church, and he hated people. He kept the, was willing to keep the gospel from them. He hated them so much. And the early church in general was, was very slow to accept Gentiles into the church. And one day, God interrupts Peter's quiet time. <laughs> Pardon me why you, why you <laughs> whatever self is, is praying. And let me just get you up. I want you to go to the coast. And I want you to go on vacation. I want you to go to the home of a Gentile. And when you get there, I want you to preach the gospel to him. I want you to tell that Gentile and his family about me, about Jesus. Now, Peter, a smart guy, has to school God because he knows better. And he, God, God you got, you, do you see what you're asking me to do? You're asking me to go into that neighborhood? You're asking me to go to that McDonald's instead of the one over there? You're asking me to go to that grocery store? You're asking me to go back into that neighborhood that my family fled from? You're asking me to be around someone that you know better, God? Because don't we hate them? I'm not going there. <laughs> Don't they think differently than we do? Aren't they politically different than we are? Aren't they socially different than we are? And Peter's thinking, I'm never going to go in their home. You know that. That's the rules. We don't go in there, and they don't come in here. That's the way life is. It's not, I don't hate people. I have plenty of, plenty of Gentile friends. And it's just the way it's always been. God. Not Grant, not Matt, not Wayne, not God. Don't you understand? Don't you have any clue that culture change? You're so old-fashioned, God. I mean, what, the next thing you want me to do, you want me to go sing hymns to him? I mean, what's wrong with you? And after arguing with God a little bit, he ends up going to the home of Gentile named Cornelius. And I want you to see, if you've never seen before, what he says. In Acts chapter 10, verse 27, while talking with Cornelius, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. A large, that word is in there specifically to make me think the next statement is pretty crazy. The next couple of statements. He walks in, imagine the scene. He walks into this house. There's a large, there's tons of people, tons of these Gentile people that aren't like him. And he walks up to them and he says in verse 28, uh, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with with one of you. I'm thinking, dude, you're brave. <laughs> you are brave. 
And, you know, he says that conversation, he begins that conversation because he's acknowledging what everybody else in the room already knew. It was understood. And then he goes on and says, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. There he goes again, assuming that he called them impure and unclean just yesterday. God had to show Peter. God had to expose something inside of Peter. That's the only way this is fixed. It's the only way. God to expose something in him. It was the key piece. This, this unity, this Peter, Cornelius, Jew, Gentile, this division being separated in, in unity form was the key for the gospel getting to us today. And I believe, folks, this time we're in right now is not something that just, well, that's just the way I am. This is what God is waiting for so that the gospel can explode in this place. God is waiting for people, his people, to wake up and to be unified. It is the key. And I just hope one person is excited about that. And one person is willing to say, I'm willing to put my prejudice. I'm willing to put my history. I'm willing to leave family because of it. That sounds familiar if you've ever read the Bible. I'm willing to leave brother and sister. I'm willing to leave country. I'm willing to leave my politics, my preferences. I'm willing to leave everything behind because he wants it. And I'm responsible to act upon it. Prejudice and bigotry of any kind, I mean any kind, is almost impossible to see in the mirror because it's hidden in our hearts and it camouflages itself. Because you may think, I don't really hate. And, and, and then you think, oh, I'm okay. And I'm sure Paul didn't, didn't really hate. They're just impure and unclean. I mean, I don't hate them. And here's what we do. We often excuse ourselves. That's just the way I am. Or I have lots of Gentile friends. That makes me feel real good about myself. I know lots of people from the Gentile land. I've been in the Gentile hood plenty of times. I mean, I know all of them. They love me. Very quiet in here. If you, here here's application right here. For those of you like, what do I do? It's, it's simple, but it's hard. Would you, if you follow Jesus, would you ask God to do the same thing for you that he did for Peter? Would you do that? Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to say these th three words to God? God, show me. Expose me, God. Help me to spot it out and then despise it. Help me to stop defending it. Stop it. God didn't call you to get on Facebook and defend your point. He called you to go and defend the, and let the world know that there's a God that loves them, that's desperate for reconciliation, that wants to be their friend. And your voice is clouding up that point. And your friends that you don't enable to do that are clouding up the gospel and people aren't hearing love. They're hearing hate and division like never before. Folks, remember, he and I were talking to 
God's church. Not the world's supposed to sin. They're supposed to act that way. Why are we going around telling them to stop sinning? You're supposed to sin. He's looking at the church and saying, you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to behave this way. You're not supposed to get your point across. You're supposed to put your preferences and your point aside for your brother, for the one that desperately needs me. Die so that they can live. The church has to be the epicenter of this. Unity with God will lead to unity with others. Chris, you can stop making your way up here. There's an ancient fable about four oxen and a lion, and it goes like this. A lion used to prowl about a field in which four oxen used to dwell. Many times he tried to attack them, but whenever he came near, they warned one another and banded together so that whichever way he approached them, he was met by the horns of one of them. At last, however, they began to quarrel among themselves, and each went off to pasture alone in the separate corner of the field. And the lion attacked them. One by one by one. First Peter 5.8 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He doesn't say looking for a group of people. Because a united group of people is hard for the devil to devour than for one person alone because of division. He's saying, John 13, 34, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You winning a point, you winning an argument won't. You having perfect church attendance won't. You can bring your hospital bed in here so you don't miss a service. That's great. You're supposed to do that. Not the hospital thing, but you're supposed to go to church. You're supposed to give. You're supposed to do those things. But he's saying here, love is proven when there is unity in the body of Christ. And our community needs to see this as a place of reconciliation. Our small groups need to see it. They need to see this portrayed in small groups. And Facebook and social media, whatever platform you use, need to see it. We should be a safe place for this to happen. I want to I end with this, Psalm 133, 1 through 3. I don't have the scripture on the screen. God gave me this, this scripture this weekend. Listen carefully. Psalm 133, a psalm of David, 1 through 3. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. I lost some of you there. Go study that out. It's very huge. But this is where I want you to listen and listen carefully with your heart more than anything else. 
He says this, for there, in unity, the Lord commands his blessing, even eternal life. Now, I want you to hear this. If you don't have unity as the goal of your heart, I'm not asking you to be perfect yet. I'm asking you to pursue the one who is and who wants unity. But if you do not have unity, God cannot command a blessing and give you eternal life because division from others will keep you divided from God. When there is division in the church, there has to be a stance. I read an article recently about these two sisters, and one of the sisters was biracial. She grew up in America. Both of them did. And she goes to the DMV because she's getting married and she's got to turn in all her certificates proving that she's a U.S. citizen because of the way she looked. She didn't give the other sister that much trouble. Giving her all kinds of issues, making her go get this paper and go back and do this and go. And the other sister's furious. She's so mad. She's so mad. Guess what she did? She got in her car and pouted. I'm so mad. I can't believe that they would profile my sister. I'm so mad that they would do something like that to her. I'm going to make a stand. I'm going to be mad. That's useless. It's nice. It's a good start. But I want to tell everyone this. Righteous anger needs to turn into righteous action. She should have got up and went into the DMV and said, I need to speak to a manager because someone was treated poorly because of their race. Who will stand? Who's going to stand at that next family gathering? When everybody's being, let me talk to my Metri people. When it's okay to make those little races, you know, I'm just joking. When, who's going to spur the change in those conversations? Who's going to stop allowing that? Who's going to stand up for God in those moments? I heard a pastor say this. He told his congregation, united we stand, divided you leave. And you might think, oh, that, okay, you've gone, that's crass. That's too much. Let me tell you the words of Titus chapter 3, 10 and 11. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the total truth and their sins condemned them. Not people. We're not talking about unifying on preferences. On, on song, you, everybody's gonna, there's always going to be division on the type of music. There's always going to be division on the type of messages or the type of preaching or the type of atmosphere. That's not what it's taught. You can be divided on those things and still be unified under the main thing. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about preface. He's talking about the most important thing is being unified on reaching the lost, those that are far from God, those that are going to a Christless eternity, those that are outside of this church need to see unity inside of this church. And it sounds easy. I know it's hard, especially if you grew up in it. Why is it so difficult? I think the number one reason is we don't listen. We're not taking the time to listen and learn. And someone once said, when you listen longer than most people listen, you will hear things most people never hear. You're never going to hear truth if you don't listen. Let's start listening. 
Let's start obeying. Come on, stand with me. Let's start caring enough about the mission of God. Put aside our preference. Put aside our personal opinions. Put aside our need to school them. I'm going to prove them right. Put aside our candidates, our parties, our, everything that divides us. Race and economics and, 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 and everything that divides us. Let's start listening. Let's start listening to others. And most importantly, like Peter, let's be willing to listen to God and then act on that righteous anger. Father, I pray right now that you would show us all this better way of living. This better way of living that involves unity in your holy church. I pray that you'll convict our hearts and show us specific ways we can change in order to be, truly be, the body of Christ, holy and righteous in your sight. In Jesus' name.